welcome, 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 welcome back. If this is not your first time here, because it's probably not. So welcome or welcome back to the Spawn Can Talk About Anything. And this, my friends, is episode 43. And I know this because I did uh, like a deep dive into how many episodes there were. And I can confirm this is the 43rd episode, which means in nine weeks, I will have completed a year's worth of podcasts. So like, you know, slow clap, yay me, uh, of course, me being your friendly neighborhood, Melanie, who spells her name with two L's and is not at all strange. So you're probably there sitting on, you know, let's listening to this on your phone or your computer or wherever. And you're like, why did she play that classic song again? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm going to talk about something that's pretty classic um, throughout this interesting little episode. And also that song classic by MKTO is very, very close to reaching 1 billion streams on Spotify. So I'm going to ask you a favor. I want you to, when you're done listening to the pod, just type in MKTO classic. And even if you just do it once, give it a stream and help it get to 1 billion um, hits, 1 billion streams. I don't know. I'm assuming it's called 1 billion streams. So help get classic to 1 billion. That's MKTO classic for those of you who aren't paying attention. Um, So you just have me this week. You've had like three or four weeks or uh, yeah, four weeks of constant guests. And now you just have me. So I'm sorry if that's boring, but it shouldn't be because it's my show and I'm the star of my show. And that's why sometimes I take it back. (laughs) Um, Alyssa Bonagura was supposed to be a guest. We like totally scheduled it. And then stuff came up. You guys have been asking for Alyssa to be on the show for a while, but she's been super busy and now she's really busy. So we had to reschedule, but it is happening. Um, As soon as Alyssa is available to come on the show and chat, she will. And I look forward to that conversation. She's an amazing artist and an even better human. And I'm so, you know, honored to know that about her, to know that she's a really, really good human being. So yeah, that's, that's that. That's your introduction to uh, episode 43. Now you're wondering, what's the topic? Well, it's classic. It's a classic topic. Um, uh, On the date of this recording, it is the 50th anniversary of one of my absolute favorite films, which is The Godfather. So. I don't know if you know this. I'm a huge Marlon Brando fan. Most people do know this. I'm a Brando aficionado, aficionado. I don't know. I've seen pretty much everything there is to see in terms of his films. Um, I've read his book and I've listened to so many interviews. I'm so fascinated by this man just as an actor and as a human. And um, it kind of pains me because sometimes I say Marlon Brando and people automatically say, oh, The Godfather. And they forget that there are like countless other films that he started and that he was so wonderful in that I loved. But I'm very aware that The Godfather is the thing that he is most known for, for pretty much anyone who's like under 40. So that's a pretty like a big demographic of people who are mostly familiar with Brando as having played The Godfather, which is, was, you know, a huge iconic film that 
for which he won an Oscar and for which he, um, you know, didn't accept that Oscar because he couldn't handle the way people were treating uh, American Indians. It was a protest. So he sent a, a, a Native American uh, woman to uh, accept the award in his place. Some people think that Marlon Brando was the first person to ever um, to ever decline an Oscar, but that's actually not true. So now you're learning that there was somebody else who did it before him, but who was a little bit less relevant, I suppose. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that. But yeah, there was another another person who turned down um, the Academy Award for their win as in, in something. I don't know what the film was. I can honestly say I don't remember. <laughs> I read about it before. I just don't remember. But um, yeah, so we're going to talk about some things that you didn't know about the Godfather. Or maybe you did know or maybe you didn't. But we're going to talk about it because I think it's important um that we were that we talk about it and that we remember that this film is such a huge cultural pop culture iconic thing i don't really know how to describe it except that to say to me it's poetry in motion brando's films have always been poetry in motion if there's a little bit of a weird echo in here i apologize i am not at home and i'm using a room that's a little bit um, devoid of furniture. So the sound might be a little off. Also want to say, if you're playing this on, before I continue, if you're playing this on the host website, please exit and, uh, go listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or Stitcher because I'm on Stitcher now because I'm so freaking cool. (laughs) So yeah, we're going to talk about, or I am going to talk about the Godfather and you're going to listen. I hope, I hope you're going to stick around and listen because I'd love to hear um, you guys' thoughts on, on what you're, what you're going to learn or what you may have already known or whatever. I'd love to hear that. So without further ado, I'm going to tell you guys some things that you may not have known about The Godfather, starting with the fact that Marlon Brando was not the first choice to play uh, Don Vito Corleone, which is fascinating when you consider the fact that without him, there wouldn't really, the Godfather wouldn't really be, um, you know, what it was. And the actors that were considered to play Don Vito are, you know, actors that were hugely successful that you, people that, that whose names you know, and when I say them, you're going to maybe be surprised but they're they're big, big, huge names, like just as big as as Marlon. Um, so first of all, like Laurence Olivier was considered to play um, Don Vito, which I think would have made for a terrible film. <laughs> I, I think he was such a fantastic, you know, actor. Uh, I mean, he was just brilliant. But it didn't make sense. It, it, for him to play, to play, you know, Vito Corleone, um, and some of that Orson Welles was considered to play uh, Don Vito Corleone. Interesting fact: Francis Ford Coppola said, "No way, we don't want, we don't want you to play Don Vito," and he felt terrible um, for, for for having done that to Orson Welles. Like years later, he. Um, <laughs> offered him the role of, of Colonel Kurtz 
in Apocalypse Now, which also was played by Marlon Brando because Orson Welles turned it down. So twice, Francis Ford Coppola made iconic films that Marlon Brando was not supposed to be involved in and ended up, they ended up being like these huge iconic films. Um, they didn't want Brando because he was notoriously famous for being difficult to work with. And I really think that that all really crumbles down to him just not being willing to know, uh, you know, compromise the work for a bigger paycheck. As a matter of fact, they uh, ran a headline uh, um, when The Godfather came out that said, no stars for The Godfather, just some guy named Brando. What? Just some guy named Brando. The studio was so against Marlon being cast that in order to get them to do it, Francis Ford Coppola knew that Marlon Brando was not going to um, agree to screen testing at this point. He had been working for so long. He was so established that he, he was Marlon Brando and he was not going to screen test. So Marlon was doing things at home, like stuffing his, um, his cheeks with cotton balls and and just all these weird things to, to get into character to see if he could play an Italian. And Francis Ford Coppola um, <laughs> went to, to, um, to Marlon's home and, you know, told him that he just wanted to try to see what these things look like and tried it by taking pictures with like a disposable camera or, or Polaroid, I assume. I wasn't there, I wasn't born. <laughs> Yeah. And um, he brought this back to the studio and they didn't know that the photos were of Marlon, because if you see the film and you see what Marlon actually looked like at the time, they're vastly different. He looks much older in the film than he actually was. Um, and I'm saying I'm way too much, but you know what? I'm just so passionate about this movie and, and Marlon Brando. <laughs> I can't believe this movie is, is as old as it is because it feels so timeless Another fun fact, Marlon Brando was actually considered to play, wait for it, young Don Vito Corleone, which of course he would have played in the second film. That role went to Robert De Niro, but that's fine because I think Robert De Niro is an appropriate um, casting for that. I think he's the only actor that's out there today that really holds any sort of candle to any sort of meets the standard of what Brando um what he did in his career. And so I love that he played the younger. I kind of wish it would have been in reverse order, like that we would have seen Robert and then Marlon, but it doesn't matter. The films are both, both part one and part two are so good. Like literally my favorite films. Well, I have so many favorites. I love so many films. I'm just, I'm such a film lover. Unlike Simon from the Extra Features podcast. I think every single film has something so redeeming about it um, because every single film is showing you an aspect of someone's life. And a lot of people, it, it falls on, people don't realize that. And then they, they, they go on and they, um, they pick movies apart. And I think a lot of the time it's unjustly, if, if that makes any sense. It's just unjustly, they, they watch it. They don't even look for like one redeeming moment. It's just, here we go. This movie's awful and we're going to give it a zero, you know, whatever. And it's just so ugly and disgusting. But anyway, now you know, Marlon Brando almost played the younger version of the, the I don't know how that 
was even possible, but they, they considered him to play the younger version of the character that he actually actually did play. And um, I'm really glad that they went with him because other people who were considered were like Frank Sinatra, who Marlon Brando notoriously hated. They did guys and dolls together and they hated each other. So, I mean, imagine how, how weird that would have been as a film. I can't even imagine Frank Sinatra as Vito. That would have been so weird. So another thing that most people don't know about this film is that Francis Ford Coppola was actually not the first director that they considered to direct the film. And they had actually considered Aaliyah Kazan, which would have been probably even an even better film just because of the chemistry that Aaliyah Kazan and uh, Marlon Brando shared. For those of you who don't know, you should know and you're about to learn Aaliyah Kazan and Marlon Brando made three films together, which included Viva Zapata um, and, of course, his Academy Award-winning performance in On the Waterfront and, of course, the equally iconic A Streetcar Named Desire. And it was actually Aaliyah who found Marlon on stage in New York and, and was like, you're, you're made for the, for the screen. And so... Um, you know, Francis Ford Coppola was not their first choice. And throughout the film, they actually threatened to fire Francis Ford Coppola many times um, and had like, you know, other directors waiting literally on set because they they kind of wanted to, they, they wanted they wanted to fire him because the, the film was not like salacious enough for them. They wanted something more like salacious and really like just like a deep, dive gangster film and he, they weren't getting that from Coppola but I am glad that uh you know they did stick with him because he's the one who fought for Marlon Brando to play the titular role and I think that's you know I think that I think that 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 character and and it just it needed it needed to be Marlon and like I said like Paramount Pictures did not want Marlon Brando for the role when they when he was mentioned as even like a possibility they said that, you know, Marlon Brando was never going to appear ever in a, in a, in a Paramount production ever. Um, they, like I said, they, they wanted, they wanted Lawrence Olivier and they eventually just agreed that they would take Brando under like two conditions. He had to do a screen test, which I already told you he would not do. <laughs> and if cast, they wanted Marlon to work for free. Um, that didn't happen, but he did work for super cheap, like super, super, super cheap for, especially for a film that went on to become as, um, as famous as it, as it did. And that's the story of that. I mean, I feel like it keeps circling back because it's just, I just can't imagine anyone else, but here's another one. Al Pacino was also not the first choice to play Michael, which is freaking weird. They wanted it to be like, uh, Robert Redford, like of all the people in the world, you wanted Ma Robert Redford to play an Italian as if anyone would have bought that. I mean, great actor, brilliant, fantastic, phenomenal actor, not a believable Italian. Um, you know, James can uh, auditioned for the role of, of um, Michael in The Godfather, and he went on to play Sonny. But he had a screen test for Michael, which is so weird. Like, it just goes to show you how weird the whole casting process actually is. And um, Martin Sheen also auditioned for the role of Michael and didn't get it. And Robert De Niro auditioned for the role of Sonny, 
but didn't get it because <laughs> they thought his personality was too violent, which I think is hilarious because when I watch Robert De Niro, I always find there's like an undertone of comedy there. And that might just be me, but I always find this, this God, uh, this Godfather, this, this comedy underneath every single performance, but it worked out because, you know, as we know, as history knows, Robert De Niro later went on to play Vito Corleone, young Vito Corleone and won the best supporting actor Oscar for that. So, I mean, that's kind of awesome, right? I mean, it kind of worked out. Unfortunately, um, Sylvester Stallone also auditioned to play Sonny and they turned him down. And then he auditioned to play Michael and they turned him down again. And they tried to cast him in the Godfather part three um, as Joey Zaza, which actually went to Joe Mantegna, who also is phenomenal and I love him but he turned it down. And so that it went to Joe. Um, the third part of The Godfather is so bad. And it pains me to say that because I really love uh, Andy Garcia and I really love Joe Montaigne and they've gone on to do such wonderful things, but that film just didn't need to be made. Nothing beyond The Godfather part two needed to be made, but of course it was a book trilogy. Um, Oh, yes. Sylvester Stallone also auditioned to play Tom Hagen, which went to the sensational Robert Duvall, who also worked um, on Apocalypse Now. Uh, that's where the famous saying smells like napalm in the morning came from. It came from from uh, from from Robert Duvall's character in Apocalypse Now, which is interesting. It's so interesting to see how incestuous um, Hollywood can be like twice Marlon Brando is appearing in these Francis Ford Coppola roles that he wasn't originally wanted for twice with Robert Duval. Robert De Niro doesn't appear um, ever with Marlon Brando because he plays the younger and Marlon plays the older in the, in the Godfather. But they, they later went on to film the score, which on which Marlon was notoriously difficult, but it's a really fun movie with uh, Edward Norton as well. So if you haven't seen that one, check it out. I'm literally just firing off Marlon Brando's um, work here. So yeah, um, also something so freaking weird. Um, so there's like a horse head in the film. If, if this is a spoiler, I'm sorry, this is a 50 year old movie and you should have seen it by now. And if you haven't, you should probably be um, imprisoned. <laughs> so the horse head in the movie, um, so it's in the producer's bed. It was not a prop, you guys. That's so fucking gross, but it wasn't a prop. The, the production company got like a real horse's head from a local dog food company and they used it in the scene, which I didn't know that. I, I mean, I knew it for a while now, but I didn't know it when I first seen the film. And now that I know it, it's a little bit disgusting, period. The cat. Do you remember there's a cat in the movie? You know, you always see the Godfather with his cat. Well, that cat was just a random cat who, a stray cat who would like walk on the set out of absolutely nowhere. And so one day Francis Ford Coppola noticed that the cat was really attracted to Brando who like, like owned several cats um, throughout his life and gave him the cat and so just improvise. And the cat loved Marlon Brando so much that it sat in his lap like in, for like entire days. And I think that says something for Marlon Brando's spirit um, that he had this spirit or soul rather that animals were so drawn to him like that to just sit in his lap. I think that's such a beautiful thing. Um, moving on. 
Al Pacino was also, I don't know if you know this, a method actor. And he, Marlon Brando was a method actor. Johnny Depp is a method actor. Like most of the really incredible actors are all very method. Um, so Al Pacino had his jaw literally wired shut for the first part of filming after his character was punched in the face. Why? Like that is so, that's so method. That's even more method than me with my Dorothy shoes. So there's a line in the film, super famous line. It is take the cannoli, leave the gun or leave the gun, take the cannoli, whatever. That line was improv. Can you believe it? One of the most famous lines is friggin' improvised. He was only supposed to say, leave the gun. And for some reason, he just added that part, which I think is, you know, an interesting choice. And it made for the comic relief in the moment because there are a lot, there were a lot of moments that were supposed to hit really hard. And then you need that comic relief. And that was one of them. The film is 175 minutes long. It's super long by Hollywood standards. And they actually wanted to put an intermission in it at one point. And it was like right after um, the McCluskey shooting scene, but then they decided not to do it because the film, the filmmakers thought that it, it would ruin the moment and take the audience out of the movie. And I think that was a solid choice. Um, I think it was a good idea because I don't, I don't know that I would have want to sit, sat through an intermission of this brilliant film. It's one of those things that you're watching it and you're like, no, I want more. I want more. I want more. And an intermission wouldn't have, would have just broke my heart, broke my heart. This is not something that he didn't, that he did exclusively on the Godfather, but Marlon Brando didn't memorize any of his lines and they are all put on cue cards and that's like a well-known thing. He he didn't like to memorize lines. And I listened to, you know, audio of him speaking um, on private tapes where he talks about that he didn't like to memorize lines because it was too, it was too um, like too solid. Like when you know what you're gonna say, it was too premeditated, if you will. So he wanted it to come off as being more authentic. And, and be more like, you know, improv and sort of spontaneous instead of having the line in your head and thinking, how am I going to like say this? So Marlon had his lines, um, you know, taped on the wall, uh, like out where you couldn't see it outside of camera view. He also famously, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of a pretty well-known famous fact, he stuck his cue cards to like Robert Duval's chest. And I actually, as an actress, I think that's not a bad choice because I also remember listening to Marlon on private tapes say that the actor's job is to stop the popcorn from going to the mouth. Like, you know, Clark Gable always played Clark Gable. You always knew that he was going to say, and, you know, frankly, blah, blah, blah. I don't give a damn. Then he was going to go to the door. He was going to come back and he was going to kiss her. And Brando didn't want people to know what was coming next. So he didn't memorize the lines. And in that film that I mentioned earlier, the score, he kind of just, um, went off script pretty much the whole film. <laughs> so back to that cat, because I forgot about this. So the cat wasn't supposed to be in that scene and they actually like had to reshoot the entire thing because the cat was purring so, so loud that they couldn't, it was pick the audio was picking it up. So they had to stop and, um, and start over. 
like that's not uncommon, but this was done. Like they had the scene like done. It was perfect. And then they played back the audio and had to go reshoot it, which is kind of weird. Um, so another fun fact that a lot of people probably do know because Robert Duvall has talked about it a lot over the years. Um, they had this thing where they like to moon people. Brando Duval and I think it was James Can. They were constantly mooning each other, which I guess is funny. It was like a boys club thing. But um, during the wedding scene, they were all mooning each other and then decided to moon um, 500 extras, which some of them were, you know, elderly women who were super, um, <laughs> they were just, they felt offended and they felt disrespected and they didn't like it. And uh, Marlon admitted that he was a little bit drunk <laughs> um, when he did that. And people were just so offended. And I think that's, I think that's horrible. So another thing you probably don't know about the film is that Francis Ford Coppola left most of the film's mistakes in the film because they felt more authentic, which kind of, um, how do I say, how should I say it, it, it gives credibility to Marlon Brando's desire to not learn his lines. He stuck as close to the best as possible, but he went, he knew the lines roughly and just kind of went from there. And apparently it worked because it's been 50 years and here I am talking about it. So there is that. <laughs> um, so Diane Keaton was in the film also love her. She wasn't like the, the biggest part of the film, but she, her role was super significant uh, to the story. And she talked about having, ha having had to wear a 10 pound wig like every single day, which I can't even imagine. I wear like a regular wig and after like 20 minutes, I kind of rip my whole head off. But um, she said that because she loved Al so much that she, she put all her, her passion and everything that she, um, everything that she had into this film because just because of Al, which I think is kind of amazing. So if you've seen the film, you know, if you haven't seen it, you're about to find out when Marlon Brando dies at the end or when Don Vito dies at the end, rather, um, there's an orange in his mouth. And a lot of people thought that this was done deliberately because they wanted people to see, um, they wanted people to see oranges as like a sign that somebody was going to die because they are all, they are seen in multiple places. Um, throughout the film in multiple scenes but that was actually just a set decorator who thought that the film didn't have enough color and it was too drab and he felt like adding uh, oranges to the scenes by like throwing them on the street or whatever was just a really good way to brighten up the film because I mean it's the godfather this was not going to be a film that had tons of tons of um you know colors and and things like that it was a gangster film and it was a film so good that each of the main uh, male lead actors were nominated for Oscars. That's, you know, uh, Duval, Pacino, uh, James Caan, and my favorite, Marlon Brando was nominated and won. The Godfather, believe it or not, is like, the, it, was, it was came out in 1972, so 50 years. And it was like this box office champion like there were two other films that had earnings close to it so gone with the wind and the sound of music and um and it, it 
even just over the last 50 years, only 58 movies have ever surpassed it in earnings. That is insane. So basically, The Godfather is responsible for the era of what we call blockbusters. So that's like anything that earns $100 million and over. It's only happened 50-something, I just said, times, 58 times since. How insane is it that a film can of that age has stood such the test of such time. It's just incredible. I don't know how many things I told you about this movie that you didn't know. Maybe I didn't tell you anything. I just wanted to jump on the podcast and share some things that I know about the film. Oh, such as like the scene where Marlon Brando's character is like dying and they're carrying him up the stairs. He put all these weights underneath the stretcher just to fuck with the people who had to carry it up the stairs, who were just grips who had offered to be on camera. I wish you would see me right now because I am so expressive. My hands are going everywhere. I am so passionate about film in this film in particular, because it's celebrating, you know, an anniversary I'm talking about it, but I'm just so passionate about film in general. I don't know if you can hear, I don't know if it's coming across in my voice because to love something as much as I love film is insanity. I love films more than I will ever love a man, darlings. So if you're hoping to date me, I'm sorry. I'm I'm in a committed long-term relationship with my movies. And unless you can handle being their second banana, you're out of luck. Yeah, you just are. (laughs) Isn't that strange? An actress talking about how much she loves film. So interesting. I remember the last time I watched The Godfather, I actually thought it would be a good idea to watch all three of them in one day. Not a good idea. Watch The Godfather Saga, which will give you the best of one and two, and never mind three. Let us all pretend it was never made. I hate to say that. Um, I hate to say it. There is still something redeeming about that too. I mean, um, the moment that, you know, Joey Zaza, which of course I said is Joe Montaigne gets shot. I'll never forget it because it broke my heart. And that, that's pretty sad that you, that I'm so invested in these characters that my heart breaks. Um, and Andy Garcia, you know, he played a quote unquote kissing cousin, but still the performance was still great. I don't know how, I don't know how you can, how I can sit here and say that the film was awful, but the performances were great. I guess what I should say is that the writing was awful. The story itself was just a story that didn't really need to be told. It didn't really add anything to the previous two films in the trilogy. And I feel like if it doesn't add anything, we can leave it out. You know, maybe that's just a me thing. I don't know. Maybe you guys can let me know. Do you think that that film maybe just didn't add anything or could have been left out? Or do you like that it's there? Or do you think that they could have made it in a different way? Of course, it's important to remember that these books, these these films are based on Maria Puzo's books. So I guess you have to stick pretty close to the story as is most cases, as, uh, as is most often the case when films are, um, when screenplays are written based on something else. For example, the film Wakefield is Ryan Cranston and Jennifer Garner star in is written by my amazing friend, Robin Swicord, who also directed that film. And it's based off of an E.L. Doctorow novel. And she sticks pretty close to um, that, that novel. And that novel is based off of a short story. 
So it's like, you have to stick pretty close to what it is. And if people watch the movie and then they go, I don't like it, well, that's fine. But the person who wrote it was paying homage to something that they really respected. Fun fact, Robin Swicord also wrote films that you grew up loving, such as my freaking Tilda. She wrote Matilda. When I found that out, I fangirled for like, I'm still fangirling about it. <laughs> and it's been a few years. Um, she also wrote um, Little Women. Uh, I'm drawing a blank because there are so many. Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Memoirs of a Geisha, and Practical Magic. Oh my God, so many good films. And it was actually Robin, it was actually in meeting Robin that I realized how important a writer is because I didn't know who wrote, I knew people wrote them. I just didn't know that I cared who wrote them until I met this sensational, phenomenal, intrepid woman who I'd like to celebrate because it's international or national or whatever, Women's History Month. And um, yeah, I met this woman and I found out that she wrote all these movies that I loved and still love. And I, she's now my friend. And that's so amazing to me. And so weird to me that somebody who wrote films I grew up watching and films I watched when I was a little bit older. And here she is in front of me and we're bad, like we're, we're besties. <laughs> no, she's my fairy godmother. And I love her so much with my whole heart. Her husband, Nicholas Kazan, um, is the, the son of Ali Kazan, who I mentioned earlier, wrote, uh, or, or sorry, directed three films with Marlon Brando, discovered Marlon Brando. So Nicholas has a Brando connection and has told me some stories that I have been sworn to secrecy, so I cannot tell you them about Marlon as a human. And that was a lot of fun to learn. <laughs> I have so much love for the actor, but there's, I have an undying desire to know more about the human. We know the movie star. We don't know the man. And I feel so robbed that I wrote Marlon has been dead 15 years, 15, no, 17 years. Marlon has been dead 17 years. And I feel so robbed of the opportunity to have um, ever met him, ever sat down with him and ever told him, I love you. I think you are the most talented man I've ever witnessed in my life. And you believe that you can't be loved, but here I am and I love you. And the reason I love you is because we're so similar. There's so much, there's so many things, so many parallels, but that's like an entirely different episode. I literally have to sit here for like, between 20 minutes and God knows how long and tell you why Marlon Brando and I are so similar and you probably don't care. But if you do care, feel free to drop that as a suggestion when I ask you podcast topics, because I do ask and I do get some, you know, people send me things like sex. I am not doing a podcast on sex. There are podcasts out there who talk about sex and you know people's sex lives and that's great I have all the respect in the world for that it's not that I'm disgusted by sex it's not that I think there's anything wrong with discussing sex it's just not for me I want to keep this mostly about the arts um you know lighthearted stuff and sometimes you know serious topics like my own suicide survival that was a really hard thing to talk about and I don't know how we got it from the godfather to this that's why we call this show this one can talk about anything because I really, really can. I can. <laughs> it's true. Any topic you throw at me, I could just sit here and go on for hours and hours. I could actually tell you so much more about the Godfather, but I'm afraid if I keep talking, people are just going to tune out. So I, I've said about as much as I'm going to say, if you are curious, just 
you know, about learning more about the Godfather that you didn't know, hit me up on Twitter at a blonde who talks, A-B-L-O-N-D-E-W-H-O-T-A-L-K-S and say, hey, I want to know more stuff about the Godfather that I didn't know. And we can have a private discussion because I'm so open to privately discussing anything with anyone. I love having guests on the show. They don't necessarily always have to be people who are um, quote unquote famous because fame is fleeting and human beings are all super valuable. So that's why I have my mom on here sometimes because she has some very interesting stories. And I think when my mom comes on the show, that's probably the only time I ever talk about sex, which is very fucking weird. <laughs> if you think about it, it's very weird. Um, so I'm done. I'm done ranting. I'm done rambling. And you're like, yes, I'm so glad this is over. I mean, assuming you're still listening and your name isn't Bobby. I don't have the little sound effect thing I used to use. <laughs> I don't have it anymore. Sorry. Not going to make them with my, with my voice. No, no, that sounds really stupid. Um, I'm going to take that out. <laughs> assuming you're still listening and your name is not Bobby. Um, thank you. Thank you for listening to that rant. Thank you for sticking with me next week. I will probably have a guest for you. Um, you guys keep asking me if I can have Tony on the show, Tony and I've talked about it and yes, he's going to come on the show. I just don't know when, because I'm going to have to talk to him about scheduling and I'll work on that this week. And maybe next week, Tony will be here with me. I don't know. But in the meantime, if you want more of Tony, you can go on the little search engine on Spotify and type in classic by MKTO, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, just give it a stream. Even if you just give it one, just give it a stream. Let me know if you did it. I want to know if you did it. Why don't you take a screenshot and show me so that I know you did it. Show some love and support to a fellow artist and just give their song a stream. It literally literally takes minutes, just a few minutes of your life. Um, I'd like to thank my sponsors, the TV12 method. Unofficially, they still have no idea that they've been sponsoring the show for 43 weeks, but I thank them so much. And I also want to say, Tom Brady, if you're listening, I am so ready for you to come out of retirement. I miss you. I miss you so much. Like it hurts. Okay. It hurts, buddy. Come on out. Come on out of retirement. The world needs you. Well, I do. Anyway, um, my official sponsor, Michael Salberg Family Wines. You can find them on michaelsalbergfamilywines.com or on their TikTok. They have TikTok now, uh, their TikTok or their Instagram, Michael Solberg Family Wines. Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Solberg, S-U-L-L-E-B-E-R-G, Family, F-A-M-I-L-Y, Wines, W-I-N-E-S. It's that simple. Also, make sure you check out the Ignorant Gentleman's Club shop on Etsy, etsy.com slash ignorant underscore gentlemen. Just give them a quick browse. If you see something you like, click buy. <laughs> Let me know if you buy something. Let me know what you thought of it because I can share that information with the pretty awesome dude who, um, who owns it. His name's Tom and he's pretty freaking awesome, but he's not Tom Brady. So this has been fun. I'm going to play you out with some classic because I have been streaming it for two days straight in an effort to get my friend Tony's song up 
to 1 billion streams. So I'm going to play it with some classic because I think you are classic. I think the Godfather is a classic. I think the song is a freaking classic. You know what, guys? I love you so much. My name's Melanie, still with two L's because, you know, the way you spell your name doesn't change from one week to the next. And it definitely doesn't change from the beginning of the show till the end. <laughs> and I think you're all so very classic. Living in a world gone plastic.